The scripture for this morning will be coming from Mark 10, and it reads, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant to us, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they, became, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Indeed, it is a wonderful occasion as we acknowledge those who God is setting apart in our midst to serve as deacons, indeed servant leaders. Reflecting upon this idea of service once again and what they are called to do and, and, and how they are called to do it, I was reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10. As he really lays out for them what it means to serve, what it means to be a servant, indeed what is at the very heart of what it means to be a deacon. I recalled and remembered the very first day, that, that day that my grandmother moved in with us. She'd always lived not far from us, about a mile and a half or so down the road. And where we grew up, that was but just a hop, skip, and a jump. And we found ourselves down at our house quite a bit. And uh, her home was just a holler away from ours, really. But I remember that day she moved in with us because it just became very clear that my grandmother was no longer able to take care of herself. And it became clear that the natural thing for my mother to do was to care for her mother. And as many of you, I am sure, and I know for sure that many of you have done in your own family and witnessed in your own family when, when those who are elderly in the family can no longer take care of themselves, oftentimes family members, usually a son or a daughter or perhaps a sister or a brother, will take them into their care and care for them, provide for their every need. My mother welcomed my grandmother into our home. She, she gave up her, her bed and she slept on the couch. Looking back on this time, I can imagine what a chore it must have been for my mother to care for her mother, to feed her mother, to, bre- to bathe her mother, to clothe her mother, to make sure that her mother had the daily necessities of life. 
And yet, as I look back on it, rarely, if any, at any time, do I remember it ever being a chore. It just seemed like it was a joy for her to provide this service. And so with joy, she fed her. With joy, she bathed her. With joy, she attended to her mother's every need as if she was attending to herself. There's no doubt that my mother served her mother because she loved her mother. But also know that she served her mother because she loved Jesus. She knew that those who are called to be disciples are called to serve. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples here in Mark chapter 10, isn't it? Service. Service in the Christian life is what we refer to as a means of grace. Now, the Christian life is filled with these various means. The means by which God's grace comes to us and causes us to grow and mature. These tools, these instruments in the hand of God whereby we are called to grow up in Christ. God desires for his children to grow. And he provides the means for that growth. And therefore, it is for us to avail ourselves to these means of growth. Means like prayer and Bible study, the preaching of the word, the Lord's table, giving, and many, many others. And among these means of grace is Serving. Serving. Service is absolutely, positively indispensable in the Christian life. R.C. Sproul makes the point, he says, that service is not an optional aspect of the Christian life, but indeed all believers are called to be servants of God. In fact, you cannot really call yourself a disciple of Christ if you are not serving. You are not growing if you are not serving. Serving is why the Lord God redeems us. You understand that? Practically speaking, the reason why you have been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ is so that you would serve him. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel languishing in, in Egypt under the weight of Egyptian authority and dominion and oppression. And the Lord raises up Moses and sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to do what? To let my people go. Why? So they can come out to this mountain and serve me. That's why. 
when Paul gives his magnum opus in Romans chapters 1 through 11, he builds a theological foundation for the salvation that we are in need of and therefore God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. As he opens up chapter 12, he says what? Therefore, since you have this great salvation in Jesus Christ, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, having your minds renewed, because this is your spiritual, what? Service. Why? Because that's the reason that you have been redeemed. So that you would serve God. Not yourselves. Not our own agendas. But God. All of us are called to serve. But the Bible is clear, I think. And I do believe that some of us are called to be servant leaders. All of us are called to serve, but then there are those amongst us and in the midst of us who are called to lead us in that service, to to be examples of what it means to be a servant of God. Some of us are called to take up the post of being out front consistently in serving others. These, the Bible refers to as deacons. Deacons. And again, the, the Greek word is diakonos, and it, it, it literally means servant or minister. And it's found throughout the, it's found throughout the, the New Testament, but in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in, in verse 8, it is a formal title. It takes on more formality. And rather than translating that word servant, the Bible is, is translated there as actual deacon. These are those who are to take up the office in the church and to be appointed into this position of humble service, primarily to the physical and practical needs of the church. The only thing necessary for you and I to be servants is to be saved. But to be a servant leader, the Bible gives qualifications. The only qualification for being a servant is that you are saved. And that you know the one who has redeemed you and you desire with your heart to serve him because he has redeemed you. But but then to be a servant leader, the Bible gives qualifications. And you see those in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 through 13 tells us that the requirements are more specific for a servant leader. They are leaders. They're not just servant, they are leaders. They are leaders in that they are examples pointing us to Christ. And while we're all called to serve, 
The deacons take up the calling of demonstrating that leadership with their lives, demonstrating that self-sacrificing service with their lives. There are those whose life and service are worth emulating. Because, as it says in verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, they gain a good standing for themselves. How do they do this? Well, by looking to Jesus. And in looking to Jesus, they point us to Jesus. Just as the elders understand that Jesus is the great shepherd of his people, and therefore, as shepherds of his flock, as under-shepherds, we point people to the great shepherd. So, too, deacons, as under-servants, point the people of God to the great servant, who is Jesus Christ. The one who came, not to be served, but to serve. The one who gave his life as a ransom. And I don't think we see this any more clearly than we do in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. You know, in Mark 10, Jesus teaches his disciples what serving is really all about. He teaches them there in our text that if our desire is for living and thriving in the kingdom of God, it begins and ends with our desire to serve him and to serve others. And the disciples had to learn this. Unfortunately, we're still learning it today. Still learning it today. You see here in our text is Jesus, this last half of Mark, as we went through Mark not long ago, you might remember by the time you get to the last half of Mark, Jesus has already set his face for Jerusalem. He is already setting his face for the cross that is before him. And he is faithfully teaching his disciples what he must do once he gets to Jerusalem. He is telling them again and again, boys, we've been to Jerusalem before, but this time it's going to be different. This time it is not going to be all festive and feasting. This time there's going to be a cross. And this time I'm going to be on it. I'm not, I'm going to Jerusalem with you like we have before. But I'm not going to leave Jerusalem with you as we have done in the past. But you know disciples, you know, you know the disciples, right? They're like, oh, they're like most of us. They're hard-headed. They're hard-headed. They're hard-hearted. They can only hear what they want to hear. 
And if they don't like what they hear, they go find somebody's opinion who's going to agree with them. So it was. When Jesus told this to the disciples, they didn't hear what he said. All James and John were hearing and understanding. Jesus going to Jerusalem, and it's going to be different. This time, he's taking over. This time, when he gets there, it is going to be different. The kingdom of God is going to be established. And we need to start jockeying for position. Because this time, it's going to be different. Do you know what Jesus does? In speaking to them, he shows them and therefore demonstrates to us really Really, what the kingdom of God is and really what it means to be in the kingdom, to thrive in the kingdom. And that is to be a servant. And we're briefly, we're briefly, it's going to give us just four points here of what it means to be serving in the kingdom of God. It is brief, John. It is brief. It is brief. That's the time is well spent. And it has been well spent. Four, four, four ideas of service that Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to us and reminds the deacons this morning and all of us of what it means to serve in the kingdom of God. And the first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples in this passage is that service is self-denying. Service is self-denying. In other words, it is putting others before your own self. Notice in verse 37 what James and John says to Jesus. They, they come to Jesus. Apart from the other disciples, they pull Jesus off to the side and they say, Master, as you come into the kingdom that is at hand, grant to us. To sit one at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Now what they haven't said is that they eventually they're going to fight over who gets the right and the left. But right now they just want to make sure that their family secures the right and the left. And then the siblings will squabble over that later. Notice what they say. They say, give it to us. That's what it means. When it says grant, it's saying to Jesus, appoint us. Give it to us. It would seem that political maneuvering and posturing is not new in our day. Here were the disciples. Jesus' day anticipating the kingdom. They figured Jesus is going to be elected and I want the first seat in his office. And there's behind the scenes posturing and political maneuvering, seeing who's going to be the next American idol. Who's going to be the next Iron Chef? Who's going to be the next Michael Jordan? Who's going to be next in line? James and John want to be next. They want to be next to Jesus. 
So if anything happens to Jesus, they're next. They're next. What James and John missed, and what we often, too often miss also, is that the kingdom of God is not self-promoting, it is self-denying. And that greatness in the kingdom of God is not in the promoting of self, but it is in the denying of self. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus states it clearly. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me For Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Why? Because the kingdom of God is, as John the Baptist said, it is self-decreasing more and more as Christ is increasing more and more and more. His denying self is exalting. It is pointing people to Christ. Pointing people to Christ. And so you understand that the kingdom of God is not self-esteem. It is others' esteem. It's esteeming others. What the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Notice that. It doesn't say count others as significant as yourself. We are inclined to do that. We think that is virtuous, and we want to do that even though we fail to even do that. But we want to do that. We want to count others as significant as ourselves, but the Bible says, no, you count others more significant than yourself. That takes denying self. That that takes taking up your cross. That is the only way that you faithfully follow Christ. That's what deacons do. That's what servants do. That's what servant leadership does. It denies itself. It counts others as more significant. And therefore is ready and willing to serve. But it's not only, not only that. Jesus not only teaches them that it's self-denying. He also teaches that service is counterintuitive. Because our natural inclination is toward being served rather than serving. And this is what James and John wanted. They wanted to be in a position of being served. If Jesus is going to be served because he's on the throne, what is going to happen to those on his right and his left? They're going to be served as well. Why do they want this? Because they thought that meant greatness. And who doesn't want to be great? And they thought that meant greatness. 
Jesus reminds them that Christian service in the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It goes against our natural inclination. Notice what he says in, verses four, in verse 42 and 43. You know that those who are considered great rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Your servant. Because our natural inclination is to be served. I mean, if we're honest this, this, if we're honest this, this morning, we would rather, much rather, uh, go to and be fed at the fancy restaurant than to be working in the fancy restaurant. We would much rather be the one who is able to tip rather than being the one who is the recipient of the tips. Tell the truth. Because our natural inclination is toward being served. We want to be in the position where others are serving us. And James and John understood that Jesus was heading toward greatness. They understood that something great was about to happen. They understood that something different was about to occur. They can sense the spirit of the age, and they knew something was going to happen. They figured it was going to be great. And they thought to get themselves in on the ground floor of this greatness. They knew Jesus was headed toward greatness, but what they didn't understand is the road that he was going to have to take to get there. They didn't understand the road that he was going to take to get there. Do you understand that God has no problem with us desiring to be great? In fact, he wants you to strive for greatness. God has no problem with our desire to be first, to be great in his kingdom. The only thing is, he wants us to understand what that greatness really means. It is counter to what you are naturally inclined to think it means. Well, the world sees greatness, sadly, as giftedness. The world sees greatness oftentimes as the church sees greatness. In giftedness. Sees greatness in the amount of sales, in the amount of attendance, in likes on Facebook. But the kingdom of God is so different from that. The kingdom of God is so different from that. For in the, the kingdom of God, God makes much of the servants, not the ones being served. In Luke chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, they asked Jesus about this whole idea of being great in the kingdom and what that looks like. And Jesus says, for who is the greater, 
the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Then he says, is it not the one who reclines at table? Of course it is. It's the great ones in the estimation of the people's mind who are reclining at the table, who are sitting at the table, who are feasting luxuriously as those servants around them serve them. Notice what Jesus said. But I am not among you as one who has reclined at the table. I'm among you as one who serves. Who's great? And what is greatness? It's counterintuitive to our natural inclination. But not only is it counterintuitive, service is also costly. It costs. It costs. Gentlemen, it costs. It will cost you that which is most precious to you. Namely, your time. It will cost you your time. And yet, those who serve faithfully know and understand that this is time well spent. It will cost your life, and at the same time, it is what will give you life. It is life-giving. Notice what Jesus says in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? Give. To give his life. To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this, that he knew his service to them would cost him his life. And therefore, their service to him would cost them theirs. His service to us cost him his life. If you will faithfully serve Christ, your service to him will cost you yours. So I don't want you to get it wrong. I don't want you to get it twisted this morning. Understand. That service is inconvenient. It is inconvenient. You have to ask yourself the question, all of us in here this morning. When are you not a servant of Christ? When are you not a servant of Christ? If you are a disciple, If you are redeemed, if you take upon yourself the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, then you are always a servant of Christ. And if we're honest this morning, sometimes being a servant of Christ is an inconvenience. And that's why too often we shy away from it. But I want to remind you that if you are ever a servant of Christ, you are always a servant of Christ. 
You are always on call. You are always on duty. You are always to be at your post as his servant, ready and willing at any moment, at any time, to give of your time, your energy, your resources, your effort for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's all of us. Here's a question for our deacons this morning. When are you a deacon of East Point Church? When? When are you a deacon of East Point Church? But here's a better question. When are you not? When are you not? You are always a deacon of East Point Church. No matter where you are, no matter who you're talking to, no matter where you find yourself or the circumstances you find yourself in, you are always a deacon of East Point Church. That is part of the burden that you take upon yourself. If you're an elder of this church, you are always an elder. I, I, I don't have the luxury of ever taking off my pastoral calling. I don't get that. Every time you see me, you see who? Pastor Tony. On the golf course, I'm Pastor Tony. Don't always show it, but I am. On the basketball court, you always, you're still a deacon. On your job, you're still a deacon. At home, with your wife and your children, you're still a deacon. You don't get to drop it off at the church doors when you leave. If you're a deacon, you're always that. In every walk, Define yourself. It doesn't matter the day or the hour. The servant is always ready to serve. You remember Jesus in Mark chapter uh, 4 tells his disciples to go across, across the lake. They're going to go to the other side of the sea. And Jesus is weary. Jesus is tired. He gets down in the boat. So tired, the Lord gets himself a pillow, gets a cushion. He lays down and he falls asleep. He's tired, so he's getting into that deep sleep, you know, that REM sleep, that, that sleep that we all want to get. He's deep in that sleep, and the storm rages. And what do disciples do? They call him in the middle of the night. Jesus, we need your help. Jesus is sleeping. But he's not slumbering. He's weary, yes. But he's not too tired to serve. Because you get weary. You got to find some sleep. But you do understand that the service of the people of God does not always come at the most convenient of hours. 
and true servants, though weary, though weary, though even sleepy, they are ready to serve. They are ready to serve. You know, I was thinking this week, truly serving others is having others take up your time and they never sense that they are taking up your time. They're taking up your time, but they never get the impression that they're taking up your time. That's serving. It's costly, it's counterintuitive, it's self-denying, and, and lastly, it is defined by the cross, isn't it? That's where it's defined. That's the motivation. That is the motivation for serving Christ and his church is grounded in the ransom Christ paid for us. My service to you could never outstretch Christ's service to me on the cross. Notice what he says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. To give his life as a ransom for many. We serve because of Christ. And you know what? We can never really serve like Christ. I know we, we talk about being a servant like Christ was a servant. But really, we can't really serve like Christ served. For his service to us was redemptive. His service to us ransomed us from death and hell. My service to you doesn't do that. His service ransomed you. His service bought you. His service paid the penalty for your sins. His service is the reason why you are alive today. His service is the reason why when you die, you go to heaven and not hell. His service. That's why. That's why. We never lose sight of his service. Because that provides the motivation for my service. If you lose sight of the cross, you will lose sight of your service and your service will be lost. This is his service to us. This is his service to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Get that. You will have no problem serving nice people. You will have no problem serving good people and clean people and appreciative people. Christ served sinners, the ungodly, his enemies. God showed his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life a ransom. His service was the cross that forgives sins. Our service is the cross that says our sins are forgiven. And therefore, nothing says serving and giving like the cross does. Nothing, nothing, nothing. God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, Jesus made of himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was his service. And he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a servant for us. That becomes the motivation. That becomes the only reason for becoming a deacon. That's it. That is the only reason to become a deacon. It's because you know of what Christ has done for you. It's the only reason. It's the only reason. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, he says to all of us, I say to deacons today, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labors are not in vain in the Lord. It may seem that way because it's inconvenient, it's thankless. But you know that your labors are never in vain in the Lord. In the Lord. So you don't do it for the applause of others. You don't do it to be next. You don't do it to get next to the pastor. Or for others to see you and to think much of you. Or to receive their thanks. Or even to hear them say, well done. It's not why you do it. It's not why you do it. You do it for the applause of heaven. You do it not to get close to the pastor. You do it to get close to Jesus. That's why you do it. You do it to get close to Jesus. You do it to receive the blessed benediction of the one who desires to bless you with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why you do it. You do it because he did it. And that's why we do it. The poem says, the call of a deacon. Reads, many are called, but few are chosen to serve the church as deacons, to give their lives consoling others, to live for selfless reasons. Yet God chose these men. We prayed for them Strong in faith and sound. And today we lay our hands on them. And tomorrow they play the background. 
and for the joy that is set before them. We pray that they would indeed endure it all. For it's not ours, but the voice of Christ that implores them to heed and embrace this call. Yes, it's often inconvenient and and thankless, but none can ever say that the Lord Jesus has forsaken him or left him to serve his own way. So everyone who receives this call also receives the blessed burden that in return all they desire to hear is well done my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Indeed, you look at the cross, you see Christ, our resurrected Lord, and that's what we all say. That's all desire to hear is well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Let us pray. Father God, and